0: Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 5 of the Reading Teachers Lounge. This is Shannon Betts here of ReadingDevelopment.com and I am at RDNG Development on Twitter and Instagram. Mary and I have a very exciting, two exciting guests to share with you today. Some people that we've wanted to have on the air for a long time because uh, we've admired their work in literacy for a long time. We have Donalyn Miller, who you might know as the Book Whisperer, and Colby Sharp with us, and we had a lovely discussion with them about their new book that they released called The Common Sense Guide to Classroom Libraries. It would be helpful if you had a book, if you had the book while you're listening to the episode, but of course you don't have to purchase the book. We also, um, in the episode, they share so many good tips about getting the most out of your classroom library and setting it up and then also in our show notes we're going to have a lot of resources related to their book um, but also some other resources that you can use to help you get the most out of your classroom library we hope you enjoy the episode
1: this is the reading teachers lounge where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers we're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation.
0: All right. Welcome to the Reading Teacher's Lounge. Mary and I have two very special guests here today to talk about classroom libraries. We have Donald Miller. You might know her better as the Book Whisperer. And one of her uh, recent co-authors, Colby Smart. Not Colby Smart. Colby Sharp. Colby Smart is character on a TV show. Watch, I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) Colby Sharp.
0: Thank you for coming and joining us on the Reading Teacher's Lounge.
2: Thanks for having we're us. Excited
1: to have, we're so excited to have you today. Thanks so much for joining us. And um as our listeners know, our goal is to um just eavesdrop on a conversation between um some some people who are in the world of literacy. So we have read the book and we are We've had a preview of the book, and we really love it. We think that um, setting up classroom libraries is kind of a daunting task for some teachers, and um, we would just love to get your expertise and insight. Um, So tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump in, and then the work you do within the literacy world, if you don't mind. Donalyn, we can start with you.
3: So I was a classroom teacher for 15 years. I taught language arts and social studies, mostly sixth grade. In the dallas fort worth metroplex and during that time went back to grad school and joined the national writing project chapter that was through my university and of course if you know a little bit about national writing project they really do fill you with that inspiration that you can be a writer and i don't think i felt that until i had gone through that process i started blogging after that and then someone asked me to write a book and i said no Because I was teaching sixth grade (laughs) and I was kind of busy and I was a mom and I didn't know how to write a book but they talked me into it and you know now here we are 13 years later I book number four and five just came out this year I am so lucky that I get to work with people like Colby and uh, Lindsay Birkins and Annie Ward and some of the other wonderful people that we featured in this book, I think uh, that was one thing that Colby and I in our first book, Game Changer, we really wanted to include more voices than ours, because although we are, you know, are we, although we are representatives of our profession, we're not the only points of view. And I think uh, we were excited with the Classroom Library book to be able to include more voices again. Now what I do is I work with teachers and librarians and kids all over the world. And uh, we were just talking before we started recording that we, uh, although we see some limitations with Zoom, we also really appreciate the connectivity that it offers us now.
2: Um, I'm Colby Sharp. I teach fifth grade in Harma, Michigan. I'm um, a husband. I'm a father of five, a reader. Uh, I have a children's literature podcast that I do with my friend, Travis Yonker. And I just really love to talk about books and help kids get excited about reading and help teachers help their own, the kids that they serve get excited about reading.
1: Well, we are very lucky to be in your presence today, and we're so excited because you've written this great common sense guide to classroom libraries. And um, it's one, it's a really easy read, which is great, um, because, you know, as teachers, you all understand what it's like to have such a busy schedule. Um, But it's also full of these like amazing little tidbits of simple and ready to read and implement tricks um, and ideas for teachers. So tell us, why did you write this In particular,
3: well, Colby, I I tell this story the same way now, so correct me if I'm getting any of the facts wrong. But when Colby and I first started talking about working on a book together, it's about five years ago, maybe, and we wanted to write a book about classroom libraries, and that's not what we wrote. We wrote Game Changer instead. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were just We were I was an ambassador for scholastic at the time Colby was really doing a lot with nerd camp, you know, we were really and still are. But really intensely involved in a lot of book access projects initiatives discussions learning and that was and and classroom libraries are a component of that conversation, but we almost had to have that bigger conversation, you know, to really frame why even something like classroom libraries would matter in the first place and so that was of course game changer but we never gave up on that classroom library book you know we never did we still wanted to because colby and i like most teachers largely self-taught and how to manage how to how to evaluate books how to find books how to scrounge for books let's be honest how to organize them how to use them with kids you know it, it's professional development for teachers in that on classroom library management and use is rare, and I I think we were just. In some ways, if we could reflect on our own processes, we might be able to work our way through some ideas that might be useful to other teachers, and I think that's what we hope the book offers is just. It's that it's that thinking honestly looking at the kids with the classroom library as the lens. You know, and, and and as as Colby said and, and others have said, like turning the dials on it, how can we tweak the classroom library, I mean Colby spent so much time still does tweaking the classroom library, you know, making shifts making changes. Just wrote a great blog post video about some recent changes that you did with the classroom library Colby you're you're very much showing. Our, our colleagues that you're never really done building a classroom library, are you?
2: Yeah. And we talked about that a lot writing the book and hopefully it comes across in the book. Like we don't have all of the answers. We don't claim to have all of the answers. It's a big reason why like Donalyn mentioned before, we brought in uh, some amazing educators to share their voices in the book and um, yeah, and there's just so many books about all of these other parts of like being a reading teacher. There's so many books on conferring and small groups and intervention and intervention and intervention and intervention. But like, we can't do all of that work if we don't have independent reading going. And you can't have independent reading humming and rocking and rolling if you don't have the the classroom library and a place that serves your readers. So if we can get this piece in, I think a lot of the other important work is, is possible, but without this piece, then kids are never going to fall or have a much harder time falling in love with reading. So without that, then it makes everything else not only more challenging, but what's, what's really the point if they're not readers.
0: Y'all wrote it for a wide variety um, of teachers at different experience levels. Like I know all four of us have been in this position where you've maybe either your brand new teacher and you just get a brand new classroom. And then there's like all these dusty books on a dusty shelf. And you're like, what, where do I even start with those? Or you change grade levels maybe in your fifth or sixth year teaching. And you have a collection of your own things, plus whatever stuff the teacher in front before you in that classroom left, and you've got to merge them somehow in the you know, quick days of (laughs) pre-planning to get it ready for your classroom. And y'all provide uh, provide tips on where to start no matter where you are in that process. And then also how to use the library throughout the year as, um, oh, I loved one of the teachers that you interviewed almost said it was like an extra... um, teacher in the classroom during oh, their yeah the co-teacher oh, lindsay, in the classroom lindsay
3: oh lindsay Birkins is a fantastic mm-hmm. third grade teacher in ohio and she i mean really i wish we could have printed every word she <laughs> said but you know we had this thing called word count and uh she was brilliant but she talked about the classroom library being her co-teacher and colby and i've talked about this and again this isn't a we you have to it's you have to do it this way, you know. It is more this idea of if you have a classroom library and you're trying to do more with it from wherever you are, maybe there's something in here that'll help you get further down the road. If nothing else, maybe the reflective questions, some of the thinking that we went through, or even sometimes where teachers put things in the year is fascinating to me you know, like if you're always going to do a book club unit every year, where do you put it in the year? Why? You know, I'm curious about why teachers make those instructional decisions when they do. And I think that's another thing to think about is, you know, Colby made some instructional decisions with intentionality at specific times of the year. And it real the why really comes through, I think, in the way that he has Reflected on that, but it's that lens of the library, but always that idea that the children are only with us for such a short period of time, and you want that classroom library experience to be a scaffold to what's next, which is a life for them of independent reading and so what can we teach them Colby and I ask this question all the time what can we teach kids about reading today that they can use for a lifetime and I think that's the lens that's offered here is that idea of how can we look at children's future independence as readers as thinkers as citizens and how can that classroom library be leveraged to the best we can with the resources we have Uh, how can we leverage that classroom library experience to, to to benefit the kids the most. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, that we resisted the urge to make this a bunch of checklists. Colby, do you want to talk about that?
2: <laughs> yeah. well, people, I think, I think that people really like checklists. And I think that administrators and like leaders of teachers really want those things in. Um, but we really want, like Donald said, like we really wanted you to see how we do things and hopefully not don't do things just like us, but like think about why we made the decisions, the different things we were thinking about in making those decisions in the classroom library. And then think about when you're going to do certain things in your classroom with your library and why you're going to do them. So hopefully it, it helps teachers to just think about that classroom library as something that's always growing and always needing those little tweaks. And maybe you'll get some advice from our tweaks. Um, But I'm hoping that it helps teachers to meet their students where they are and make the tweaks necessary in in their own classroom.
3: Well, let's think about like, let's think of some, we're talking in abstracts, I guess. Let's think about some examples here, right? Weeding the classroom library. Like, I don't know about you, Colby, I think, I don't know how all four of us have probably been on this journey. You just described a situation that probably would need some waiting to happen, right? That changing grade levels part. But at the beginning of my career, I was just in acquisition mode, right? Like, Mm -hmm. give me the resources, give me the garage sale books, drop them off outside my classroom. Scholastic door. warehouse
0: sales. I hit I'll every out, single oh yes, seasonal I,
3: one. I took a cart to the Scholastic Warehouse sale every year. I mean, that's that's really a confession. But, you know, and gimme, gimme, gimme. And then you get to this stage where you're thinking there may be such a thing as too many books. But then as a teacher, I paid for those books with my own money. I need a hundred kids to read this book because... I pay for it. Right. So we play all these we have all these conversations with ourselves and yet we're not trained really on how to step back, look at our collection with some objectivity and really determine how to pare it down, prune it, weed it,
2: Mm -hmm. clean it
3: out, whatever you want to call it so that we can maximize its impact with kids, because if kids have to dig through three shelves of books to find one book, they might be interested in reading. They're not going to do that. They're not going to keep investing the effort in doing that. And I was going to
1: interject and say maybe too, that they might not trust you if you don't have all of those great books too, because you're, you know, you really want to encourage them, but if they can't see themselves in those books, or if they can't find um, something that that piques their interest a little bit. I know also, and I might touch on this a little bit um, in the in your book, you talk a little bit about book deserts. Um, and I think that, um, uh, you know, some classrooms can kind of turn into that depending on how involved a, a, a teacher may be when, when they're um, sorting through their books. Can we touch on that a bit?
2: Well, the books that we have have to be the books that the kids want to read, not the books that we want the kids to read. Uh, we can't be, like, romanticized about these books. Like, we can't be married to to the books that we loved. Um, I brought in a bunch of nonfiction books into my classroom library last week. Donald referenced it earlier. And... Uh, to do that I had to create some space and I was creating so, uh, a new basket in my classroom for Nick Bishop books. I have like enough Nick Bishop books to put in the auth- have an author tub for him and uh, so, and also like the Kate Messner History Smashers book. So those are two new book baskets that I'm adding to my classroom library. I don't have room to add any book baskets. Like there is no room in the classroom for that. So I had to let two book baskets go. And so I had to let go The Sisters Grimm series, which was a series that was wildly popular before, right? But my kids have not read it in in a few years. So that's taking up valuable shelves. This is not like a knock on the Sisters Grimm. I think they're wonderful. Uh, So what I did is I took that, that basket, I took all of the books out took the first and the second book in the series I moved those to the fantasy section of our classroom library and the rest of the books um were donated to to our to the students if anyone wanted it or they would go to a free book table that we had but I can't just because I love that series doesn't mean that it warrants shelf space at this point in time now if some kids in my classroom read books 1 and 2 and they're really into it maybe Eventually, that series could come back, but I can't keep books in my classroom library at this point in my journey just because I like them, or because I have memories of kids liking them years ago. So that's one part of the book deserts. Jonathan, do you want to talk about other things that we see with book deserts?
3: Well, you know, you can create a de facto book desert. I and mean, I do want to back up a bit and say first, classroom libraries, in addition to school libraries, not as a replacement Mm -hmm. of we could never replace a well funded, well curated school library, with a degree librarian at the helm, with satellite collections around the school. It's just it's an and it's not an instead of Mm -hmm. Uh, kids need books everywhere, classroom, school libraries are the best use of our funding if it's that limited classroom libraries, should reflect the children in the room, not the children that are everybody's at grade level or everyone's reading these historical fiction classics that as Colby said, the teacher loved, we have to really look at who the kids are. And that's hard. Again, we have attachment to books. We love reading. It's one of the reasons we want to promote it to kids. We think it will be something that they might also enjoy and We can't get stuck in our own nostalgia and sometimes it's problematic, to be honest, some of the older books that we have loved, but it's that constantly looking at the classroom library through the lens of the students that are right in front of you, which I think is a bit of what Colby is describing, but that's. I think the thread that runs through is it takes time to get to this detached level with the classroom library, though it does like I was not like this when I first started teaching every book in that room was sacred, I handpicked each one of them, you know, and I, uh, you had to get over that you have, I think there's a growth period where you just have to get over it and recognize that uh, it's not about you, it's not it's not your classroom library is it Mm -mm. if you can't say our classroom library then maybe that's where we go maybe that's the conversation that we have what do we have to change to make it a space where it's our classroom library and not just mine as the teacher
0: I love that so much and the word that kept coming up to mind was just dynamic that we just have to really it's almost like trending on tiktok or something we have to really pay attention to what is trending for the students and like colby's saying he is trying to you're introducing some new books and some new authors to the students Mm -hmm. through things like you mentioned in your book like book passes and book talks and things like that but so we're still the facilitator of the collection but it is our classroom library meaning the students are a huge part of that you all are all the librarians really the students and the teacher
3: Well, you've been here with kids, haven't you? Like, I mean, you're a kid watcher. Uh, Colby and I have talked about this so many times. Two skills, I think, as a teacher that are just vital to our our enjoyment and success as teachers, kid watching and then reflective practice. So what are the kids telling us they know? What are they telling us they need? Um, And what are we gonna do about it? And when you have a classroom library, it's almost like a little laboratory of dynamics with the kids. It's such a community builder, which is a side benefit. I don't think we talk about enough. Colby and I do talk about it a bit in the book. And of course, it's one of the most joyful parts because it's the voices of the children. But when you really think about the vitality of the community as as it is fed with the classroom library is a beautiful thing. I mean, time and time again, I bet we've all seen kids who might not have come together to talk to each other or to hang out or to work on a project together, but they had some book in common. And that one book that they both loved, The Lightning Thief or Watson's Go to Birmingham or whatever it was, they, that one book brought them together and, a, and maybe a friendship came out of it, um, or even just an empathy and understanding, that would be great, too. Um, dipping into that classroom library all day i've seen this in colby's classroom when you go uh, the kids just wander over into it and pull things out for each other by the springtime Uh, Mm -hmm. it almost takes on a life of its own colby did you want to talk any about that like what's going on with your kids right now in the classroom library i mean they've had it for a couple of months now
2: yeah so we have I added a bunch of books. So I got this grant to add a bunch of nonfiction books. My that's my it's my always my challenge is getting kids to be more engaged with nonfiction in fifth grade. And it's just a battle that we keep trying to figure out. Um so just giving them time to explore was really helpful to me to see. We did one we did a book pass. So I had $650 worth of books. I spread them out into five different stations. The kids spent like six to eight minutes at each station. And I forgot about how important, because I'm trying so hard at the beginning of the year to make sure that all of their independent reading time, they're spent reading books, right? We're not wandering the library a ton where we have the next book we want to read. And just seeing them with time to just like look at books and to talk about books and to just like point to cool things in books to each other was really powerful and a really good reminder that's what readers do, right? Like we go to the library and we walk around and we look at books and we see other people there and we talk to them about books or we go to a bookstore and do the same thing. So it was helpful for me to see the importance of giving kids time to browse. I don't think about that a lot because it's it's the space that they spend seven hours a day in. Like I think of our browsing time when we go to the school library every week, um, but giving them a chance to... To browse and talk about books, they have so many more books that they want to read because of the conversations they had with each other. Not just giving them times with the books. So that was really eye-opening to me to just slow down, like take a take, just chill out a little bit, um, and let them let them be readers. And readers want to look at books, not just they want to look at books. They want to talk about books and they want to read books. So I was really good at getting them to to read the books. Um, but reminding, I was reminded last week that they want to look at books and talk about books a little bit more. So always trying to figure this thing out. It's definitely a process. You know,
3: we believe so much in student choice. We want kids to have agency in making some of their learning decisions, including choosing some of the books that they read. But sometimes you turn kids loose with that choice, and they're honestly not that good at it. And you have to (laughs) understand it's because They haven't had that many opportunities to do it, right? So kids need lots of opportunities to preview, share, and talk about books they Mm -hmm. might read in the future. I think when we sit down to confer with kids, of course... We want to talk with them about the book they're currently reading. We want to know if they're getting into it. We want to know if they're understanding it, you know, mm-hmm. um, we want to be in that moment with them or if they've just finished a book and that's when we sit down with them, then we would talk about that. But there's benefit to talking with kids about books they might read because you can really get into their thinking behind some of those book choices, honestly, and, they're holding holding a vision of themselves as a reader in the future, right? When you have reading plans, then you're planning to read.
2: Mm -hmm. And we
3: want kids to keep doing that, right? We want them to have a vision of themselves as a reader in the future. So that activity where something like a book pass or even just giving book talks or giving kids opportunities to learn about books they might read and talk about that with their classmates, I think it's, it's, it's another way of building community, again, as you said, Colby.
2: Yeah, It's interesting, Dallin. So I have this kid in my class, and he told me last week, he goes, I think I'm going to read the entire Wings of Fire series. Like, he's really into book one. And I was thinking, that's going to take a while. That's great. He's really into it. That's what a reader would do when they would find a new series. But, like, this kid's not going to have to think about what he's going to read next for months. Like, at the earliest, like, February. So when we were doing the book pass, I'm thinking, like, this is an opportunity for him to also be thinking about other books and letting other books come into the process, and maybe that will let him think, maybe after I read Two Wings of Fire, maybe I'll read this Steve Jenkins' books about bones or skeletons. Uh, Because, like, as a reader, like, you really can get that tunnel vision and not see all of the other wonderful books that that kids are reading. So that's just another thing that I've been thinking about from last week. And that's another thing, like, when Dallin and I turned in this book – like, there's just, like, is everything keeps happening in the classroom that we would usually, like, be talking about in our weekly meetings. And, like, I don't know where to, to like, write those things anymore. Because the book is done now. And, like, we can't just, like, keep writing it. So yes, it's weird. we can. Well, we're that's not what we're done. doing now, right? Well, we're and, not
3: done learning yeah. how to be teachers, and one of the ways you and I no. learn how to be better teachers is we write and talk about it. So let's go. I mean, I would do it. So I think. Yeah. Well, that's
2: why I wrote that blog post last week for Nerdy Book Club. I'm like, I don't have anywhere to say this. Like yes, usually, Donald we, and I we are talking... have a blog
3: that we are supposedly yeah.
0: run that we could put some things on. I think. Yeah. but you know,
2: we
3: totally
0: read you, a sequel. This book of more like digging into using it. So,
3: well, you know, the thing about series, Colby, that you touched on is exactly what kids tell me. The number one reason kids like series is it reduces the stress of having to find Mm -hmm. a book to read. You know, I mean, there's other reasons too. We get hooked on the characters, the stories, Mm -hmm. you know, but the kids pick a series because it does reduce the stress of finding a book. That's a light bulb moment for me. I have to say, I never considered
1: that, but especially working with struggling readers, you know, mm-hmm. when kids are reading a series, it's very common. It's something that um, kind of gives you a little bit of um, uh, street cred. Oh, they're reading this series and mm-hmm. and so-and-so. And so that is um, really interesting to me, especially when I work with kids who are um, often skeptical or, or sometimes like um, pretend readers where they like to carry the big book and, um, and kind of in this vein, I'm sort of wondering too, can you talk a little bit about how you can also make it accessible with audiobooks or or um, like, how, how do you help make uh, the, this library accessible to kids mm-hmm. who, who may be struggling?
2: So in our, in our building, we have some, some, uh, I don't want to, like, promote different companies, but we have the tablet with the audiobook program on it, and we have some money set aside. And if there's a book that a kid wants to read that they maybe would struggle to read on their own, then we just get them the audiobook, and then they will listen to it with that, and they'll uh, follow along in the book as well. And a lot of kids have just fallen in love with doing that. So I think there's actually one of the chapter openers as a kid – reading Lisa, uh, a Lisa graph book. And he's got the big headphones on. It's one of my favorite pictures in the book. So that's one way that we, we do it here at Parma.
3: And of course we, when we talk about access, that physical access to reading material includes audio book, access ebook access and the assistive technology that kids might need. So if kids need a voice to text, um, a piece of software or a device, then we would be able to to find ways to get that to them. We don't want there to be a barrier to access for any kid. And, uh, you know, we do know that that audio support with the book is a powerful one, too, for kids. Mm -hmm. They're hearing the word pronounced correctly in their ear while they're seeing it on the page. We know that's reinforcing their decoding and also their vocabulary development. So just another great tool for us to have in our toolbox. Uh, we do hope this book provides teachers with a few toolbox tools, maybe a few resources, uh, definitely a few voices that we feature that they could follow online and continue to learn from.
0: Donalyn, way more than a few, like I cannot stress to the listeners enough just how easy this book is to read. Like there are so many photographs, like Colby was just mentioning. And then there are a ton of interviews with teachers at various levels and um, different roles in schools and in the world of libraries and classroom libraries um, and the interviews it's just such a little glimpse into you know how each person uses library differently and then it gives you tons of ideas of how to apply that to your own library and so I love that and it's, it's just a very colorful easy to read book where a teacher can just pick it up even just skim through it or read it more carefully at any point in the year and just immediately know what to do next so I just really appreciate the work and the very thoughtful work that y'all put into this to make this it is a common sense guide to classroom libraries and that's the title and that really it was a good title because that's exactly what it is
2: oh thank, thank you, you to our editor ray we just wanted to call it the classroom library <laughs> <laughs> That's what we still call it,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it is a common sense guide. I mean, it, it, like it, 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 there's so much common sense in it. So um, we really appreciate it. And we really Thank appreciate you. the time that y'all took to join us in the reading teachers lounge and we, um, we just share your expertise do, with our audience.
3: Anything we can do to support teachers and the hard, hard work that they're doing of getting kids excited about reading and teaching them how to read well, you know, we are all, About it. So we're going to
0: link to your social media, but, um, and any other, like, we'll link to Colby's blog, but can you tell everybody while we have you on air, um, where to find you online?
3: Well, you could check out nerdybookclub.com which is the blog that Colby and I, um, help manage. And we often feature our writing there. Uh, the fastest way to find me is on Twitter. I'm at Donalyn books on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram. Colby is everywhere.
2: Let's go. Yes, at Colby Sharp. That's, that's my, it's me.
0: We will be sure. Thank you all. The show notes on our website. Thank you I'm gonna so go,
2: much. I'm going to go teach some social studies. So thank you. Let's
0: go for it. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you.